You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Welcome back to another episode. This episode is our first... Uh, Howdy, y'all. Like, uh, all-together podcast yes. video thing since February, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's our first one where it's, like, video podcast thing. You know how those, like, professional people, do they do it. Like JRE? Oh, right. Is the smoker on the table because we're beekeepers? No, that has a special Only you are. I just noticed that. I just, I'm just a bee haver. You are? Then that's okay. Quit anthropomorphizing your bees. <laughs> That's a big word. I am so proud of you, DJ. Well, today we're joined with a couple of our good buddies here locally. Dusty the Meme King Thompson is ooh, here. Ooh. He, we're going to get into another episode on a question and answer, and he's going to be our official moderator. We're also joined with our rejoin with Sean Brown. Who? Sean Brown. That's not him. You're getting catfished, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so mo- I'm sure a lot of you guys know Sean Brown from episode nine, farmer, family man, local bee whisperer. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. That's all we need. <laughs> Did you stay at the Holiday Inn last night? <laughs> so I think today would be would be would be cool to kind of talk about uh, getting ready for winter time. And now we've got four different Ohio beekeeper approaches. Uh, I think that would be pretty interesting to kind of, you know, dive into some of that to give folks an idea of not how to do things the right way or the wrong way, but just four different approaches uh, and maybe why we kind of do that. Uh, And I guess just start throwing in our tidbits of uh, unfunny knowledge along the way. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. So, who wants to go first? Rock, paper, scissors? Rock, paper, scissors. Shoot. Shoot. Oh, wow. Well, right now, we're at the very end of August. And so, um, it'd be, I guess we could just you know, go around the table and, and just get quickly caught up on where, we, where we're currently at in our bee yards to maybe paint a little bit of context on what we're... Uh, get why we're getting ready for winter if we are and why we're doing that and what how that kind of sets us up for the rest of this year and also next year so jimbo uh how's things been going in your bee yard where are you at and uh where are you going oh going pretty good this year um you know we're still at five hives uh, uh you know we're uh middle of the darth obviously and so there's not a lot of activity going on i'm starting to see some pollen again you know, here and there coming in and uh, just, you know, feeding the bees right now is uh, sugar water as much as possible. Uh, we collected a little bit of honey uh, uh, back in, uh, I think, June, May, June time, you know, from the, from the spring flow. And so we, you know, knocked that back down a little bit and now we're waiting for the, the fall flow to come in. But, you know, all the hives are doing great. And, um, yeah, we're just getting ready for the fall here just to see, you know, we'll start doing we'll start doing mic checks again here real soon because you know some of the bees are looking seeming a little more cranker than usual these days. So get those those mite checks and make sure nothing you know crazy is going on and see if we need a treat for uh, the, you know upcoming winter 
uh, that did it. That did us pretty well for last year. Uh, treating before winter and went with you know three hives going into winter and came out with three hives. That's pretty good. Yeah, uh, you know, better than the year before. That's uh, true. <laughs> nothing. What, what do you uh, What do you think the difference is, has been for you and your bee yard and your approach from the prior years to this year? You know, for me this year, my my, my biggest thing that I've I've learned this year is slowing down speeds things up. Mm. That's uh, been my biggest thing this year, just trying to not just fumble through all of it and try to like, okay, we got to get this done and like, you know. Move slow and methodically through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, when you move so methodically through it, like you, you, like you're not setting yourself back. Yeah. And that was the issue I've been having the past few years is that like I'm just trying to knock everything out, boom, 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 and – I'm just, you know, screwing myself in the back end on it. You know, you know, it's just, you know, now I'm getting hit by getting hit by bees. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> uh, this is not There's always a little. It only took two seconds. <laughs> it only took two seconds. Well, speaking of getting screwed, <laughs> uh, what are you doing different this year? Because it seems like, do you think if you, you go in there with a more uh, focused approach to actually know what it is you're supposed to do in there, is that helping you move through rather than getting confused and overwhelmed and anxious? Yeah, so I have a I have this great bee mentor. Uh, his name is Greg Burns, if you oh, haven't heard of him. stop it. And, uh, just stop. He runs this place called – no, I'm just kidding. Um, so he came he came by early this year, and, you know, we went through all my hives together, and I kind of, you know, watched him, you know, go through – go. Go through how he would go through hives, and you know, and, and a couple of things I took away from him, which really has helped me out throughout the whole year. One is um, lighting my smoker was I was I was just again I was just trying to like get through it all, and like I would throw a cotton rag in my smoker and just light it up and <laughs> go, and you know that was you know you know what Greg taught me was like how hot that runs and how how you know cranky that can make the bees real fast and. Uh, which makes things take longer. So by me just trying to speed things up by just getting a smoker rolling and going, mm-hmm. I'm causing things to take longer. So you know, Greg taught me how to uh, how to light a smoker properly and how to pack it full and use the right materials. And damn it, Dusty! <laughs> <laughs> There's always offhand humor going on in the background. <laughs> now we're now we're all cut on video. Yeah. This is a fun yeah. dynamic. <laughs> yeah, not, there's no cutting this out now. Oh. Well, that's a good point. You know, it's you want, want to get in there and get the job done. But if you if you rush things and you you uh, the bees are reacting to you rushing and not being super careful what's going on. Uh, you know, if you're using you know a, a smoke fuel that's uh, very strong or acrid smelling and it's burning hot, those are both things that uh, put them on edge, which ends up you know not for a real uh, enjoyable experience in the bee yard when they're blasting you and checking you and if you can keep them calm keep them smooth and it seems to work out pretty good yeah absolutely like you know keep them like i've noticed a difference in how cooler much cooler you know, use the materials i'm using now you know you know I'm, and i'm just you know i don't have uh pine pine needles and combs readily accessible to me but i have a lot of pine shavings that we use for right. the chickens yeah and that's been working out just as well for me yeah. you know and it keeps it extremely cool like i put it to my arm like a, like it's a baby's bottle yeah and it's, it's beautiful and i put some you know i put some comfrey in there and some i got some lavender that i throw in there as well just to you know add to the mix but so that's one of the biggest things that you know i i that's helped me 
you know, get in there. This is a hive's a lot easier. Developing your own little program on what you're doing and execute a plan before you actually get there. Exactly. And then, you know, the other biggest thing that I've, I've, I've learned this year is taking a, take when you're, when you're taking a slower approach, you're, you're very careful about how you use your hive tools when you're going into the hive. And if you, you know, you know, another thing you taught me, Greg, just using the hive tool as little as possible and just being very methodical about how you use your hive tool. And mm-hmm. I, I just use it for the bare minimum now of, you know, cracking the frames where I have to crack them. And then beyond that, I, you know, I, I place my fingers very methodically in there, you know, and I just, you know, gently go through there, you know, and I don't just, you know, try to, you know, be like a bear in there. You know, I just get my fingers in there, there and grab the frame. <laughs> you There's a lot of us that are pretty, uh, pretty uh, I would say, uh, in a good way, woo-woo with our beekeeping. There, there, there's something to be uh, said for the type of energy you put off uh, when you're going through, and, and I'm guilty of it, I'm sure we all are, is you can either like approach a hive uh, and engage a hive, or you can invade a hive. And it seems like when we're invading a hive, cause it's a quick thing that we're doing, we're just going to get in, we're getting out, we're in a hurry. Even if we're not crushing bees... I don't know what it is, but they, it seems like to me, they pick up on that and they react. They do. So there's something where it's, you know, it's a whole other probably show topic, but equipment that we use protection or lack of protection. Some of us wear suits. Some of us don't, you don't get a gold award for, for not wearing a suit. But for me, the biggest reason why I continue to not wear a suit or a veil, unless it's raining out or it's dark and I have them working the hives is it puts you in a place to be deliberately vulnerable. Uh, and so when you get in there, every sweep of your hand, uh, every time you move a box or a frame or the, all the frames together, you do it in a way to where it's uh, it's co-beneficial to not stir the bees up. And then in doing that, you know, I don't, it would be, I, it would be cool and hippie to say, you know, they pick up on that energy and then they reciprocate with the same um, you know, I don't know if that necessarily happens, but what I do know is that they're they're not getting fired up, and they're not going into straight up reactionary mode when we're going in deliberately and smooth and calm. And I think that does go a long way. So how you hold your hive tool, how you go in there, you know, there's certain times, you know, and I'm, and Dan, I'm sure can speak to it, you know, where he's if he's going in there and grabbing honey supers and getting bees out and doing things, you know, you you are trying to be uh as respectful and uh do that in a certain way where you're not harming anything but i can only imagine when you get into you know your fifth box your fourth box up and they're jammed full of bees Mm -hmm. you know unfortunately you're going to hear the the snap crackle crunch that's the best one this year was using a leaf blower and you knew every time a bee went into that leaf blower yeah so there so how you approach you know i think that's that's good you you so you, you um, I guess to recap, you know, you went into the winter with three. You came out with three. How did you get to five? I ordered two packages, you know, just as ba- as backup insurance. Yeah. So, you know, those two, there's, there's, you know, I didn't do any splits. You know, those are just uh, backup insurance, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that's where you're at. And then so you're and you're what you guys are doing there is is uh, making some wax, making some honey just for products, kitchen table, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's I mean, your context. That That's our context for right now. Yeah. I think next year is going to change for what my con- my, t- my context will change for next year. But that's my context this year. Dan. Get us uh, kind of caught up on uh, 
What's what? What a whirlwind of a year. It's it's been good so far. Thank you, Jimbo. You're welcome. It's uh So we looked uh, more towards the honey production route this year as uh we've previously stated in the past. Man, no have to pee now. <sighs> you spilled it again. I know, right? I'm gonna grab the rag for you. So we went towards honey production this year. We've been playing around with a few different things. Uh, I tried cut combs, see uh, just how to integrate it and what works for me, what the best way to approach it for me. Uh, so far, it seemed pretty well. Uh, I got a milk crate full of cut comb right now sitting in my house. I'm just waiting for labels on that. Uh, but the big game changer for us was getting a new extractor. Drove up to uh, Data in Michigan and got a brand new 20 frame radial extractor, Woo! which has been a boss. That's nice, isn't it? Last year, nice. last year we did 350 pounds of goldenrod, and it took us two and a half days to spin those out. Using a two-frame manual? Yep. Then this tangential. year... Tangential. What? Is that tangen- tangential? Tangential? What'd you call me? <laughs> tangential. <laughs> Dan gentle. Oh, tangential. I like that. Gentile. Uh, so it, it definitely chopped the process down. Uh, the first spring honey harvest, we got uh, just south of 500 pounds, and we were able to, able to process that all out in under four hours. Wow. So it was definitely a game changer for us in time management because, as we've all stated in the past, our biggest hiccup is time. There's That's the one commodity we can't get more of. Right. Once it's gone, it's gone. I can imagine, though, like not just uh, hours, you say, but physical exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Going from like a, a two frame crank to oh yeah, just crank the motor on and let her rip. Yeah, which I found out you can't really do that. <laughs> you got to ease into it. Or? Yeah, you got to ease in definitely, and just slowly ease in there. And otherwise, what happens? Oh, all your uh, wax just blows right out. Yeah. And are you using uh, you're using plastic in your supers, aren't you? A uh, hybrid. So a little bit of both. Yeah, I'm as things get phased out everything's getting replaced back with a plastic foundation that probably gives you a little more flexibility with the motorized oh it does definitely you can just yeah i haven't i haven't had any issues with uh the plastic falling apart or any of that i've seen some people having problems with uh the full cell separating off the foundation but i've yet to see that as long as you just go slow and smooth and at least bring your honey up to somewhat of a higher temperature than room temperature I think we're spinning our honey out between uh, 95 and 100 degrees was the warm room or the hot room. So, And why do you take it to that temperature? Uh, it just seems easier to come out. It flows through the strainers faster since we don't really filter anything. We just have a small strainer going into the five-gallon bucket. It, definitely having it up at a little bit higher temperature reduces the viscosity. So it seems to work better. Hey, it's another big – I'm so proud of you, Dan. I know. He knows more big words. It's because I came from work and I'm still in a professional mindset. Wow. Podcast gold. How yep. You, how do you clean that machine? A, do you have a power washer or something? No, a sink adapter for a garden hose. So you can run hot water right out of your sink. Nice. And then uh, Lowe's sells collapsible hoses. Because I was going to do a PVC hose because I can take the uh, honey gate off. It threads out stainless steel, and uh, they have a hose adapter. 
and it's just a barb fitting that's an inch and a half. Well, inch and a half PVC is a little pricey, especially now. Some construction materials are a little bit scarce, so they had a foldable blue hose that was an inch and a half for like eleven bucks for thirty foot. So I'm doing it pretty hillbilly, and I got the extractor sitting where my kitchen table used to be. Nice. Bolted to my kitchen floor. I'm sure the wife appreciates that. She loves it. She absolutely loves it. It's like a see-through table. You can just... It, it almost is. And it's... Put a couple bar stools next to it. It's perfect. Wow. So you've been busy slinging honey. Yep. So far, running total is 1,004 pounds. Wow. That's nice. And we've been migrating between 30 and 35 hives. I think I might be under 30 right now. I've stopped counting. But they've just been... It's been an interesting year. So this year has been pretty much very minimal, if any, splits. And just build everything up, make bunches of bees. Yeah, uh, I made... I made six splits in an attempt to uh, equalize my whole bee yard. So spring, they just went gangbusters. And I think I kind of held myself back a little bit with spring. I could have gotten a little bit larger crop. But at the same time, I was a little bit reserved on being greedy in the spring and forcing them to swarm. Because my big limitation was honey supers. I ran out of honey supers in the spring. And that's why I pulled my spring honey early. And some of my spring honey, I pulled it in the spring. And it went back on during the spring flow. And fortunately for us, the weird year, there was no dearth between spring and summer. We just rolled straight into summer production. And I think that was my saving grace. Yeah, I had a similar issue where I was pulling frames out just to get more equipment back on. Yeah, and that's and that's what I was doing to kind of hold them back a little bit. I was pulling frames of cat brood out to just try to, try to manage the size. But if I had more equipment, that would have been as big as of an issue. So I made a couple five-frame splits coming off of those hives. I looked for the ones that had queen cells and just threw them off to the side. And now in hindsight, I probably should have tried to manage a little bit better because now I've got all these splits and i got to figure out what to do with them. It sounds like you had your stock, <clears throat> like your stock overwintered well, came out and yeah. laying up a storm. Is that seems like the, the secret to making honey is having a queen that lays enough to constantly build up, build up the numbers, and then you manipulating those numbers in a way to where they can get the brood chamber set up and then start putting nectar above? Yes, and that, and I also tried something that was definitely not controversial in the bee world at all because <laughs> nothing is controversial in beekeeping. Uh, I oh, played God. around with protein patties this year. And uh, three quarters of my yard I ran with protein patties. The last quarter I just left going. Uh, the last quarter is a mix between one-year and two-year queens. And then the rest of the bee yard was all two-year queens, except for a couple. And there was a substantial buildup difference between protein patties and none. And I, I, coming out of winter, the first warm day I had, I bought some of those uh, winter patties that have a low protein uh, content, but a higher sugar and fructose content. And I slapped those in there till it was warm enough to really start making bees. Because I know some of them were running low on honey stores. So that was my way to kind of keep them through. And also at the same time, they're getting, according to the manufacturer, they're getting a little bit of protein and amino acids. So but probably not enough protein where they think it shouldn't get kickstart them yes. too prematurely yep. where you have them 
chill brew and yes. things like that. It was just try to add a little bit of a nutritional supplement right. to try to get them healthy as we can before we start really rolling into this. Yeah. And then as soon as it was hot and they were or warm enough to where they were out flying and I could see they were coming back with at least some pollen, I was putting on the full bore pollen patties. And uh, there was definitely a difference between going through the quality of patties, too. And that was a big one for me. Were you doing that in a conjunction with uh, with sugar water or not as much? Uh, once the palm patties were on, they had uh, they all probably got about two gallons per hive this year of sugar. That was it. Uh, then the big one was before the nectar flow started, I put my honey supers on. I put sugar water in there, and they started fixing a lot of that comb because I had some comb that was damaged to wax moths and things like that. And I noticed that they started storing some of it, but there was still a good time frame between when the uh, when the flow should start and generally when it did the previous year. And as I kept going in there every week, you could see those cells or those stores were depleting. So I, I knew that they were using it to rebuild the wax and also make uh, more brood. So I think that's the only time I use sugar. I haven't, other than a couple of the nukes, I haven't put sugar on at all this year. It's not like you've had enough flow on in your area where even if you did, they probably wouldn't take it. Oh, yeah. And I and then had the equipment shortage was the biggest thing holding me back this year. So I just bought, I think, 600 board feet of pine that... Over the course of free time that I have very little of, it's been getting cut down. And I think right now, uh, two days ago, I just started assembling boxes. So I got like 15 boxes assembled, but I still got a bunch more to go. See, 600 board feet, that'll get you about 100 boxes. Yeah. I got a stack. And fortunately, the sawmill was nice enough. Everything I could, I could get into deeps. And if it wasn't big enough to make deeps, they're going into supers. Yep. So... It's always something fun, and now we're kind of figuring out where we're at and gearing up towards uh, getting them ready for fall, because I'm still going to try to pull some goldenrod off, because I have a lot of customers wanting goldenrod for some reason. So, and it's it's the delicate dance of how much to pull off and what's good enough for them. So, you, you mentioned goldenrod, and you know, you have 30 hives, and this is something that I know I haven't experienced yet, but maybe you do. Uh, you know, when you pull your honey from different hives, do you, you know, you got different, you know, flavor profiles. Yeah. So do you, do you try to isolate each hive, you know, so you can test out those flavor profiles or just throw it all together and call it wild honey? Uh, th- generally I throw it all together. Cause if they're, if they're in such proximity of each other, they're all going out to the same areas to forage. So there's to my knowledge, no beehive is going to say, Hey, we're going to get the stuff to the west because that's the good stuff. And then another hive will say, if we go south, we like that better. They're all going to kind of cross-mingling from what I've seen from the supers that I've pulled and things like that. That As the season is, that honey tastes identical. So, But then also from spring to fall, you have the slight nuances. And then from summer, or from spring to summer, there's the little difference in the flavor. But then once you go from summer to fall, there's a massive difference. And so that's and that's the one I really love is the fall honey. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, where are we at or where are you at since uh, the last podcast we recorded? I don't even remember how long ago that was. Um, I came out of the winter with two hives. 
Testing, can you hear me? There you go. <laughs> All right. So I came out of the winter with um, two colonies that survived. Um, I went in with eight. I'm pretty sure that I'm the reason the, the ones that died, died. Um, I, I didn't have the proper equipment going into winter, and I know that they got really moist. So we didn't have that bad of a winter. Um, oh, God. Um, moist? Yeah, they were very moist. He said moist. I know people moist. love that word. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I came out with two hives, um, and I uh, – Immediately did some splits this spring. We had a very prolific spring. Uh, we have a, we used to have about 300 fruit trees, but deer and pests have kind of helped knock that down quite a bit. So there was amazing amount of blooms this spring. Um, they built up very rapidly. So um, the bees that I went into winter with was the nukes that I got from you, Greg, um, that you brought up from Dawn's. Um, super built up this spring. The queens just laid like champs. Um, so I was able to quickly, I got one queen from you and I actually ordered um, a carniolan um, just to try some different genetics in the bee yard. Um, I like mutts. Um, so uh, I went to four very rapidly. Um, I saw some queen cells in one, so I actually did a split with some ripe queen cells um, and it took. Um, and then later in the, I think around July, I got another queen from you and, and made another split. So I, I have six right now. Um, they all look very healthy. Um, I typically run my splits in five frame nukes. Um, and last year I tried to overwinter in those nukes. I don't think it was a problem of, of hive size. I think it was actually just leaky equipment. Um, but one of the things I did last year that I think really helped was the mountain camp method of feeding, um, late February going into March. Um, they were definitely out of honey. Um, I had, the hives that survived the spring, I had an inner cover, which I typically don't use, um, but I think I'm sold on it now. Um, and I had an empty box on top that made it really easy for me to pop the cover. Um, put, I used newspaper, threw it down in, just dumped a bunch of sugar in there, and they went nuts on it. Um, and I think that's what gave them the extra boost going into spring. Um, so I think my method going into fall, um, just last week, I converted everything over to 8-frame. So I... Um, Took them all out of their cozy little five-frame houses. They were not very happy about that. Um, but I put them in equipment that I had um, assembled this summer that was like... That I, I did a real poor job last year of cutting <laughs> cutting down some of my hives. So I tried to convert 10-frame into 8-frame. I tried to convert deeps into mediums. Um, and if it's you're not square or you, you don't cut exactly perfectly, they find a little hole in there and it gets drafts in it and it gets water in it. Um, so I, I converted all that over. So I've got all six of them in eight frame equipment now. Um, I, I like to run screen bottom boards um, in the summer, especially when it's really hot. Um, I know there's, like Dan said, there's no controversy there about <laughs> anything right, that has to do with yeah. I, I, I truly believe that in the, uh, like, a death by a thousand cuts. So if, if, if some mites fall through there and they die, then great, they can't get back up. If I'm using comfrey in my smoker and that helps 1%, then that's another 1%. Um, so I, I converted all over to solids um, on the bottom got everything in eight frames and now i have to make a decision i have a few days off this week um i'm going to test for mites and then that's when i have to really make a decision on what i want to do so when are you off this week i'm actually on vacation starting today when do you go back next monday when's your next break what? what are your plans <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'm you, I'll i'm just trying to figure out when to complete schedule i'm just trying to figure out when to go shopping 
<laughs> sounds like sounds like it's not going to be next week. Oh dear lord! Uh, and then see, so you, and you're in it to make a little bit of honey uh, for the kitchen, uh, get some extra wax, make whatever. A little bit of everything. I I'm not looking to make any money on bees. The big thing is not to lose money. So right. keep them alive, so I don't have to buy bees every year. Right. Um, pollination. Um, I just like having bees around the farm. Um, and then I only took five pounds of honey this year. Um, I probably could have taken more. Um, but the other thing that I realize is most of the work you have to do in beekeeping is when it's really hot. <laughs> it just, <laughs> it sucks, man. Um, putting on, I still wear a, a jacket. Um, depending on the day I might wear gloves. Um, I, but I just hate getting stung in the face. I don't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hate the, it's hard to see through a veil. It's hard to see through one of those hooded things, but I can't, I just, I don't mind getting stung on the hands and the arms and every once in a while on the leg, but I hate getting stung in the face. Um, so goal is just to keep as many of these colonies healthy going into, into fall, treating if I have to, um, and then just having bees in the spring again so that I, I don't have to purchase bees. Um, Sounds like everyone has a common goal of having a yard that's uh, sustainable to a certain degree to where... Uh, whatever inputs you do have in it, it's it's not going to uh, exhaust the resources if you're reinvesting back into the farm and then have one that's um, not only resilient uh, to us and our learning curve and the weather and all these things, but sustainable enough to where we can keep doing it without uh, having a really expensive hobby. Because golf's yeah. an expensive hobby and there's no stingers. Golf? <laughs> True. How expensive can golf be? <laughs> oh, it's probably one of the cheapest ones in the out there. <laughs> Good. When are we going to do a golf outing? The Contrary Beekeeper Ooh, golf oh outing. Boy, that'd be a... Wouldn't that be something? I could see you in golf pants, Greg. Yeah. I would I would deck out in golf gear with the little ball, ball on top oh, and yeah, the little yeah, yeah. goofy hat that would some ha- goofy pants. have to be a video episode. That would be classic. Oh, they're they're... If We're all joking outing. around, but I guarantee all of us has, have. Well, I don't have clubs. Who, who who currently has clubs? I'd, I'd have to find mine. They're in a garage. I somewhere. have some. I'm not even sure why you have any. I've golfed twice in my life. That used to be a thing. I used to be kind of ate up with it for a little while there, and it was so bad to where I needed to just to put a lot of space between me and it, and sold the clubs and got rid of the shoes, and it was a whole thing. Golf is a, a great way to ruin a perfectly good walk outside. Mm. That's that's the truth. I believe somebody, or, I believe somebody said that once. I don't know who. I think we should definitely do a golf outing. Yeah. So the mini putt putt course then? Mini putt. Magic Mountain, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> I still have some entries for the Contrary Cup. If we uh, The Contrary if, Cup. If you guys ever have the, the hooch off. Oh, there's a hooch off? Oh, we should totally do, we should totally do a uh, mead testing hooch deal. Mead wine homebrew. Yeah. Nice. We should have a hooch show. Uh, is there going to be a prize for the winner of the hooch off? Uh, the hooch cup. A warm and hearty handshake. A drive home. <laughs> <laughs> a designated driver would be a pretty good start. <laughs> huh? I'm down. I've, yeah, already, do I've got some entries. Sounds like a good show. Between all of us, we have, there's some probably the best mead recipes probably in the world. 
are sitting right here at this table. And I guarantee I got some by uh, the, amazing sassafras at home. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. The uh, end of the episode will probably be much more entertaining than the beginning of the episode. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Does anybody still have any of that? Uh, a few of us got together. Was it a couple years ago? Yeah. Is any of that? You got any of that? Uh, brandy? I have a honey brandy. You do? Yes, I have You're half still... a I have half a bottle of honey brandy. Oh man, That's... sitting there aging. It's actually there's more than half sitting there aging just for okay. us. Well, we definitely need to need to have a. I see some salt and pepper in our future. Baby, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting the wheels turning in my head how to... On the, the, the tasting thing yeah. or the golf outing? Both. At the same time? Combined. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we could invite everyone out, bring your homebrew hooch. I'm Blind. sure there's got to be a golf course that would totally be okay with us doing that. But I'm you sure, just don't yeah. tell them everything that's involved. Do the golf. Just say it's a golf outing. You need some tables and all that. Right. It's easier to ask uh, forgiveness than permission. I'm sorry I didn't know we could all get hammered and go drive your golf carts. Because nobody else has ever done that. Yeah. Trust us, ma'am. We're professionals. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, sounds like you guys had a good recap or a good... Uh, all having a good year so far. Well, what, what about well, your year? Burns year? Because yeah. I have a continue. I have a question for you. Shoot. No, no. T- go talk about your year. Yeah. Because we've had this conversation before. So I uh, am in a continual struggle year after year because I see the potential that's there, and I know what can be done, and every year I keep slamming my head against the same brick wall mm-hmm. uh, and I'm trying to at least wear a soft hat to help cushion that uh, each year it's obviously it's it's not a problem at all to make as many splits in the world as I want and make as many queens as I want I, I can do that that's not a problem the problem is creating a beast that needs maintained and fed becomes the big issue and us trying to build the bee yard to be to where it is um, more financially um, sustainable to keep putting that much time into it. We kind of get into this weird area like we do with all the little things that we try to do around here where we're met with scale and context and just kind of slaps you in the back of the head uh, every single time. You know, so this year we came out of the winter. We did great. We had a, you know, we did a bunch of, we overwintered in a bunch of different formats to see you know, kind of what worked. Uh, I'm sure most folks are pretty familiar with how we, most of our configurations, but we run uh, single five frame mediums, some single deep five frames, um, and a lot of eights mediums, some eight deeps. So we've had a, we had a whole different uh, configuration going in the winter time. You know, what we did to, you know, kind of get them into a good start. I think we probably covered that earlier this year on, on the podcast, but um, we continue to kind of learn from the feedback we're getting and kind of adjust. Um, but more importantly, try not to be so biased to what we think we're seeing to where we're making compounding mistakes because we're interpreting that information uh, one way or the other. So we can get by 
overwintering in a single five frame medium. Uh, but that's not something that we do intentionally. That's that's uh, that's that's a, a symptom uh, of a bee yard that's ran real thin uh, and you know, late splits, um, late queens, things like that. So it's kind of like a um, do you combine hives or do you just let them go on their own to see if they overwinter? There's a certain quality, I think, with trying to find some genetics that can overwinter in a small size colony. Um, and if they explode and go like gangbusters in the spring, well, then you've got something. So we can start working on local hardiness and, and things like that, which is important. And then you have uh, the the opposite of that, which we can go into the winter with larger hives. And like we've talked about that before, where I've you know gone in with uh, two eight frame mediums versus two five frame mediums, um, and the eight frame setup uses twice as much honey and has the same size colony as the double. Uh, five frame mediums and so you repeat something for several years in a row and you feel like you start to you start to seeing a pattern with that and so that's what you're kind of basing what we do the next year or what that season kind of based on that and you know that can be uh, tricky sometimes but one of the patterns that we keep seeing is here with this young farmstead we're constantly in uh infrastructure development building mode and so it's not just a bee yard it's everything else that we do around here um on a small homestead scale um pretty much from scratch is there a place to hear about all this you can go to two places the contrary farmstead podcast and also the contrary farmstead youtubes huh and just so people know we cross over and we use the contrary farmstead youtubes for the show right Yep. So, same because yep. we're not cool enough to have our own special channel, so we just steal somebody else's. Right there, you go. We poll. Well, if we did it by ourselves, no one would watch it. So, well, hopefully, your people accidentally click on it. That's all, Jake, because Jake <laughs> makes all the magic happen with the videos there and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I could ramble on uh, all day long about all the little nuances. But the same pattern happens where. Uh, we, we sell nukes, we sell queens, we started off with fat bee man stock a few years back, um, but the stock that we get to the winter overwintered and make splits from, uh, you know, by and large are all of our uh, overwintered stock. And, um, you know, for me, it's important to try to, you know, continue to uh, produce genetics that, uh, like for Sean, do well, they can overwinter. For Dan, they are making a lot of uh, a lot of brood, and they make honey form for Jimbo to where you know you can also start to see more success with having bees that might be more in tune with our local environment than uh, just something straight from somewhere else. Not to say a Californian or a Georgia queen wouldn't do well for you, but I think there's like Sean was talking about, there's small gains uh, percentages on things that you can do, and I think the local stock, I think that helps. So. In doing all that, we've made a, I don't even know how many splits. We, you know, you stop counting uh, when a yard gets to a certain size and you've made a certain amount of splits. You really don't even count anymore. Last year, you know, once I had about 100 hives, I couldn't maintain all that. And so last year when I got, you know, close to like 110 hives, we were still working on the house edition. And then so from about July until the rest of the year, there was no time for the bees. So although I've made all that and uh, made all those highs and all those splits, there was no time to maintain. And so they succumbed to all kinds of different things, different pests, uh, robbing, 
they needed a little bit more nurture to get to a point to where they could uh, kind of get, be in a good spot to go into the winter time. So you pay as a result, you lose hives. So I tried to do less of that this year, um, and so we made a an enormous amount of splits, made a lot of queens, um, and I've tried to be rather than try to get, go from let's say fifty to one hundred or seventy five to one hundred. I tried to be more conservative this year, um, but I did better on holding myself back this year than I did last year. But I just have a hard time saying no. And I always want to make good queens for people. I want to get. I want to see them have good quality, gentle bees that they can work. Um, and so I, I dug into my stock deep again this year, um, to the point where I don't. I'm not even sure how many highs I have right now. Somewhere probably between forty and fifty, um, which isn't a whole lot. Um, it, it, it's a lot, but um, I've, I've learned a lot about what I really need to do, what it is that I want to do. With the, to meet the goals in the bee yard and these aren't there's no concrete numbers until you put a little bit of time and learn for yourself what you need to do all these things so we're definitely going to make some changes uh in the bee yard to put us in a a, a better position next year and then also the year following because everything we do now uh it's not just about right now in spring it's about several years um down the road so i guess in short you know we went nuts splitting and uh, making queens and I dug deep too deep into my own stock uh, without having the resource hives to support all those goals and as a result right now I have some very lean hives out there that I have to you know make some calls on you know what I'm going to do with those and then how I want to move forward uh, to meet the goals that I do have for next year. I got a question for you that I never hear. I've never heard anyone ever talk about relating to beekeeping. I've heard about a lot of other things, and it, it also kind of pertains to me. But do you have any issues with burnout this year? That's a great, uh, great point because I know we've all uh, have talked about this to a certain extent. Where when your bee yard is a little bit more modest, you have a certain relationship with them, mm-hmm. and that's like it's was a huge important aspect key element i would say um with the bee yard there i definitely there there is a different relationship that i have with my bees some aspects for the positive some aspects for the negative yep um there i do miss the little bit more of the intimate approach with them um when i had less than 20 hives um you remember coming out to my place and going through boxes, mm-hmm. I had a blast that day. Yeah, because there was there was no order, there was no time frame, there was no pressure. It was just quiet time in the bee yard. And I, Greg started on one end, and we just leapfrogged all the way down. And it was just a nice way to spend the afternoon. And I didn't feel like I was rushed. It didn't. It felt back as I was doing it for fun again. For the experience, you get to see yes. what's you actually get to engage in the hive again. Yeah, where when it's when it's even if you're being methodical, you have a job to do, and there's these things that need met because you feel like if you don't do this, there's going to be a consequence for the inaction. Oh yeah, and and that's what I keep running up against because no matter how much I know there, I have the ability to grow the bee yard. It's the time to follow through with the maintenance on it to mm-hmm. keep things built. Um, which is the problem I think we all have. Yeah. 
Go ahead. I, I think that there's a huge fluctuation just within a year also. So you think about in the spring, you haven't got to play with your bees or see them or hear that buzzing for three months. And in March, April, you're all excited again. And like I'm doing all kinds of beekeeping stuff. I'm out there as much as I can, checking on them, doing splits. And then you get to the end of the summer and it's super hot out. You're working all day. You've got a million other projects going on. That's when I think, for me, a lot of this stuff gets dropped is whenever. So it's like a kid opening up a gift on Christmas. They're excited, and then throughout the year, their excitement dwindles away. For me, it's like you get ran so thin. You know, we went from not having the addition to build to yeah. uh, getting a sawmill and do logging and start to build the sawmill shed and then this little dairy building and yep. then the list go on. It's like there I have I'm not only am I seeing patterns with nature and the bees. Um, I think one of the most important unappreciated aspects about bees is we're not just learning about bees and nature. We're learning about ourselves. Oh, absolutely. And if you can kind of shed the ego away enough to kind of see that, then you can see the patterns in yourself. And I'm seeing the same patterns within myself is that I feel like I'm almost happiest when I'm running myself just to that point of exhaustion yep. where I'm feeling accomplished, I'm getting those things done. But there's a there's also a little bit of hell to pay with that um, because you, you can only hammer out so many irons in the fire and actually shape those into something that's worth a damn. Yes. Otherwise, you end up with hot dog sticks, which you need hot dog sticks. But when you're trying to make anything else in the world other than a hot dog stick, a hot dog stick isn't worth anything. Yep. And that goes back to the most important commodity we all have, and that's time. Time. And that and it killed me this year, too, because I, I spread myself too thin. Are you, are you about to the number of hives where you feel like... You have to make some other changes if you're going to go any deeper. I, I at this point I said I don't care. I got the number of hives I have. I have them. We're going through winter. Let's try to get as many as we can through winter. There's no point in needlessly losing them, but do as much as we can, and we can reassess in the spring where we need to go, and use that year to get our honey production. Because I took. I took six hives out of honey production to play around with cut comb. So if I don't do cut comb next year, that's going to be six more hives back into production. Granted, they all survive. So I, I know I got room to play around with. Let's say Dan has, a, has capacity, mental, physical, um, and let's, let's not even talk about financial. Let's just say mental and physical mm-hmm. capacity with working a full-time job, uh, and having a farm and doing all the things that Dan does, have you felt like okay, Dan reached eighty percent or ninety percent or forty percent capacity? And if he did, if I if Dan reached a certain capacity, how do we project that for next year? I am over capacity. I am. So what you're saying I is no you're, shame you're, you're you're in a little bit of burnout. Oh, I've I've definitely been in burnout this year. There was. Five weeks to where I just completely ignored my hives because I had no time. Yeah, but you know when I was talking to you earlier this year, I, and I think it's maybe more relevant for your relevant for your situation because you have so much going on. You, the way I took it from you, is you weren't reaching your potential that you think you could have reached. Oh, I absolutely, I couldn't. Uh, I had so much going on, and don't get me wrong, I love bees to death. I love beekeeping to death, 
But then it's it's the same as having an animal or something like that. Like when we had pigs or cows or chickens running around, there's a lot of times to where it turns into a burden. Yeah. And that burden's on you to take care of them more than it is a pleasurable activity. Right. Especially at that size because now that burden's that 30 times larger. So there was a lot of time to where like uh, – I think it was like six weeks to where I just kind of had to ignore them. And granted, they had honey supers on, so it wasn't an overly critical time. I know some of them swarmed. Uh, caught one of them. And I just slapped them into a box and threw them up by my garage. I didn't even take them back. And they're still sitting there. They're still sitting right next to my garage. I just supered them. But it was it was a difficult time because I was and I was in a personal crunch. I had other priorities in life. I had other things taking off. And along with running the business, there's more to the business than just going out and playing with the bees. And so it was right after we got uh, like 480 pounds of honey. And I had to think, well, I have to do something with 480 pounds of honey now. That's more than I can eat in one day. (laughs) So It's a lot of hooch. It is. So it was a lot of developing other streams going in. And honestly, I was just I was just tired of it. It gets less fun, yeah. uh, real. I think for me, and maybe it's similar with you guys, is once you get up to like seventy five percent capacity, things start to shift mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. Where you know, okay, I only have I only have a headroom so much, um, and I know what's coming no matter what. And that, that that's like. Uh, mid June it's like okay I'm at 70 and then the 1st of July happens and all of a sudden you know I was in the same boat yeah I was over over capacity mm-hmm. on the time uh and and, and physically was what I was able to do and the time to do it you know I'm already overburdened and it seems like it's a recurring theme uh and so these are just things that you have you know we're just talking out live you yeah know, and, try these- it, and it helps us you know kind of process um, and that's the biggest one for me is yeah, yeah I've 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 never really spoken about it. my wife doesn't really know about any of this and you're the now she does is, yeah this no no <laughs> she doesn't listen so all three listeners are going to hear it yes. all at the same time my mom will hear it well Sean what what's it like uh, you you know we there I think Dan we've all had we've all um, have shared before uh, privately and also on the podcast you know what our goals have been. Um, and it seems to me that you know there's a certain aspect of bees that are really no different than uh, hogs or chicken or cattle. You can go through these growth phases where you're at a certain scale and it's not hard at all to double and sometimes even triple yeah. the scale. But then we get to a certain point to where, wow, uh, the scaling up only goes so far before you're hit flat in the face with severe limitations i gave away beehives this year where you can't even rob peter to pay paul yeah because uh you know they're 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 both have you put holes in both pockets and they're both just ran flat out what what have you are you where are you at going from two to eight this year where are you at with the time that whole situation i I had i don't know if it was an epiphany or just a, a like a an awakening where like you guys just said i have a full-time job we have about 400 acres we farm with cattle and pigs and chickens and everything else going on kids trying to balance family life with work um and don't forget the donkeys (laughs) (laughs) um but 
same thing. I had a number in mind, and I, I was pushing myself to get to double-digit hives, and I wanted to get up to 10, 12 hives, and same thing happened. I got to the point where I used to be able to go for an hour, run to the bee yard, check every single hive, play around with them for a little bit, and be back out. And then it, it started getting to the point where I had, if I was feeding them, I had more stuff than I could carry. Um, and I eventually, I call it the the two-bucket method. So I have two five-gallon buckets. Um, we Everything on the farm has buckets everywhere, all over the farm. And if I can carry everything I need in two five-gallon buckets, then that's like the perfect amount of bees for me. Yeah. So quart jars of, of sugar water you can fit i think five down on the bottom and still have room to double that up you put your smoker in there you put your hive tool in there whatever else you're going to need and if i can just walk out there with two five gallon buckets then that's perfect for me so whether it's six or eight i can quickly get through all those hives in just a, a few maybe an hour hour and a half max and that's that's what's worked out for me yeah. i don't think i have there's nothing in my time schedule i'm ever going to have time to do much more than that yeah. you know there's a huge new revolutionary invention into farming called a tractor and a tractor helps you move things I, so you don't have to have your I, bucket. I use a john deere gator but they're also in an orchard so i can't get we, we could only use little john in the in the orchard he can't, he can't carry very much the important thing about a bucket though is you, you fill the back of the gator with all the things that you think you need you know you've gone from an hour and a half to four hours yeah, then you're getting the gator out and you're loading it up. Well, just if, if you need the gator for all that stuff, you know, right. now we're talking. Now I can load up two buckets, walk down, and walk out, be and done. enjoy the walk, see the trees, you know, approach the beehive, Absolutely. engage, enjoy the relationship, do what needs to be done, everything's happy, and you you go about it. Yeah, that's. I'm not, you know, you know, real sure. You know, I, I know for us, we we definitely want to keep. Um, raising more bees and selling nukes, selling queens. So we're finding, uh, we're making some changes on how we go about that um, to be a little more conservative on resources. Uh, at the same time, it, it's an, more of an investment in uh, some different equipment, um, some different methods. You know, at some point we have to we have to find uh, find that line to where we don't want to push any any for any further. And yeah. so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close right now unless I, you know, start cutting something else out. And with a growing family and a young farmstead, with all the things that need to happen in that situation, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be, our size, scale, and context is going to be limited to that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, the whole thing falls apart. I have seen a, a few extra resources that you have um, in little bee suits. Yep. So you never know. Maybe somebody will well, catch on and really like that. And, and there's where, a whole enterprise for it is. somebody and in your family. And, and, you know, to be perfectly honest, you know, um, a couple of the kids do already enjoy helping. And so they're helping, you know, move stuff back and forth. You know, Jake builds a lot of the woodenware, gets all that stuff ready. You know, I don't. so that's, um, you know, they're also can, can mix up the sugar, um, you know, fill our, the feeder buckets. So there's already, like we're already getting into that to where that's what's able that's what's given us the opportunity to scale up is because of labor and that's you know that's a really hard thing to pl- plan for resilience on other than having seven kids which i think i got that one covered <laughs> I, think I, I think we're good there. i will give huge credit this year my wife does not like bees 
she really does not like bees. And I think she could tell a few times that I was definitely drowning and overwhelmed between my real job, my love of being at the dairy, which will never change because that, that place is fantastic. And then I still have the bee yard and a few other things going on. And I'll give her massive credit for coming out this year and putting on a bee suit and helping me out. No matter how many times it's she huge. got stung. It's a huge yeah. job, isn't it? Oh my gosh, yes. You know it would be interesting and either be fascinating or a colossal mistake would be a Queen Bee podcast where we had all the wives no. of the contrary beekeepers <laughs> I, I ask a, them the same questions yeah. and see how the that answers sounds like are a train wreck. Yeah, that's a horrible. I think we tried that once there. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Good effort. Thanks, right, Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for showing. What, what's the phrase? Uh, good initiative, bad judgment. <laughs> so you guys are saying it would be the uh, the opposite, not the uh, yeah the colossal. train wreck. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll have to circle back on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about. I think we're all getting to the point where we're starting to see what burnout kind of feels like, and we're you know trying to make some adjustments so we can have a better relationship with the bees, enjoy the the ride, um, and then try to keep doing better each year. Jimbo or Jimbo or Dan, who wants to go first? What do you, Dan? What are you going to do different, or what are you what are you doing right now to get ready for wintertime? Uh, it's I gotta know how many hives I want to go into winter. Which at this point, what's there is there. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Man, what'd you have for lunch? <laughs> This is smell of dino nuggets and dino coffee. Nuggets. <laughs> you can't talk about dino nuggets, Gregory. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's it's I'm already there, so the number of hives is what I'm set at. There's not a lot of time well, there's no time anymore to really make any splits and get those splits ready for winter, so whatever I have, that's what I have. If I lose some, then I just lost out what I have. But on the opposite side of the spectrum is I'm still trying to pull for winter or for uh, fall honey. So right now it's still that delicate dance of where I need them still build up to get me fall honey, but yet enough to where they're making their winter bees and having enough stores to go in that direction. Last time I was in there, they're still packed full of pollen. So that is fine. And it's really just just making sure they have enough honey so it's making sure they got space to store it uh trying to figure out still i'm on the fence if i want to do a single deep and overwinter in that or like last year i did a deep and a medium combination on most of them and that worked out tremendously so it's i really just need to figure out myself first and try to get out of the funk that i'm in just take a shower I did. That didn't help the funk? It Change didn't your help. shirt. I did. <laughs> Any other things you wanna you know, you wanna share about what you're doing to to get ready or I, I really need to figure out my management. Right. Just get a because point. there there's a learning curve and, and I've heard this from a lot of people and experiencing it firsthand and actually having it there's a massive, massive learning curve in management between 10 hives and i think it's when you break that 20 hive number yeah 
And especially if you're running for honey, because you run all those hives on the brink of swarming without tipping that scale into swarming. And so I really need to work about where I am on that scale and keeping it as close to the brink as I can without them swarming. Having the time to actually manage them for you. Yes. And it really comes out to being able to balance the hives. I attempted to balance the hives a few times this year and just turned out to be an epic failure on my behalf. And I just, I couldn't get them all right. I was moving frames around, trying, and it's just, I think it's just because I don't have enough knowledge on it, enough firsthand experience to really do it. So it was, with it being the first go around, I am kind of expecting it to fail. And I got a little bit more experience going into it and what I need to do for next year. Not like, for me, the big one was not all broods treated equal when you're balancing hives. Yeah, and that's the one thing I did is okay. This frame's full of eggs. I should count that the same as the frame or frames full of capped brood. It's definitely totally two different. separate things because you're about three weeks difference. Yes, so we'll see where that goes, and I'm hoping that with the management, I I don't see myself surpassing the 35 number or 30 number next year if. Uh, if I roll back down to like twenty or twenty five, that Even I'd a be fine. Capacity, yeah, I'd be fine with that too because I that number does sound good. It does, but also at the same time, me going through my hive takes a lot longer than you going through one of yours, right? So, and it and it's all back in the context of what I want. Like you want smaller hives to overwinter in, I want larger hives to overwinter in. So, my spring, it's they're booming. Are you? Also taking into consideration the honey that you're pulling off. So now if that does, if you don't get that sold, then that's product you have to store. Oh on, yeah. On top of all on top of all that. So if you drop back down you don't have Yeah, and that and that falls a little bit more on the business side because I, I had five, six hives running this year into cut comb. So if I just put those back into honey production, take a lot because cut combs can be laborious and doing the squares instead of the Ross rounds or things like that. I personally like the squares. I think they look a lot better. And so that's why I went with it. And also whenever you see uh, French Hill apiaries, their cut comb looks awesome. No one can beat that one. So that's kind of when I thought, Hey, go with the square cut comb. But since it is laborious, I don't know if I'm going to do it next year. I think I have it figured out. I'm not too sure. But we'll see how the cards fall. What's your plans, Greg? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know I'm still trying to be engaged enough to where I think I can see what's going on, but not to be too engaged where I have too much bias that helps steer me uh, where I think I want to go. Right now, uh, I know I'm going to have limited time the rest of the year. Yeah. So however many highs are out there, 40, 50, whatever, that's that's what I've got. Um, what I'm doing right now to get ready for winter is I'm balancing my hives. I'm downsizing some of them, and I'll make my very last splits probably over the next two or three weeks. And so making late splits, I'll be taking hives that are maybe two, three, four boxes tall, three boxes tall, that are maybe triple eights, and I might break those down into fives. 
And what I'll do is when I if I have uh, like a single five frame box or a three frame box that has a queen and a small amount of bees in there, mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll make the split from the resource hive and then add the queen from the smaller box to it. Okay. So I'll be making a downsizing split. Um, and that's just to help balance out the, the, the bees there mm-hmm. um, to have a little bit more of an even keel with my colonies. Not, not necessarily uh, because of like obsessiveness of they need to be even, but so I can get better feedback. So you can also slice that cheese by saying you're using your resource hives to add numbers to some of your weaker colonies? Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's also kind of like asset protection as well. Yeah, increasing the survivability. And it, it's more queens that I have going into the winter. If I can have enough support for them, it's more queens I have coming out of the spring that I can not only judge for quality and characteristics and things like that, mm-hmm. then it gives me more queens to select which ones I want to breed from. So you're not making any new queens right now? Correct. Okay. Yeah, yep, all, all, right now all my queens are, are already made. Uh, I still could. Um, it's just I don't have time to manage that. And any split that I make from July 4th on requires double or triple the amount of maintenance as anything yeah. done in May or June, April, May or June. Uh, it, can t- it can totally be done. Um, it's just I don't have the capacity in my schedule uh, to, to do that right. And mm-hmm. what's going to happen is um, what's happened before in the past is you end up with 30 or 40 splits that you've made. You have mated queens. Everything's doing going great. But then we hit Darth for two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Robbing ensues. Uh, colonies get killed out by the stronger hives in the yard. Um, and then you've got hive beetles and wax moss. Now you're looking at um, just it, it, it kicks you right in the gut because you see what could have been totally destroyed. Now you have a mess to clean up. Mm-hmm. So we were, talked earlier with, with Jimbo about you know going slowly, slow is fast, more methodical, even going through on the inspection. The same thing can happen when you're growing a bee yard is if you create that beast that's too hungry and needs too much maintenance, it's going to get way out of control. Um, it's still going to eat. Uh, but what that what that means is you usually lose. Um, and so I'm trying to do better and do right by the bees to where I'm not uh, creating more life forms um, that I... that uh, There's a way you can go about it to where you... The colonies you create require less input. Mm-hmm. And they're um, a little bit more on their own to put themselves in a position to be successful. You can push that to a certain extent um, to where you can run them leaner, but it requires more inputs to do that. Either you have resource hives that you can balance brood or honey or pollen from, or you're uh, facilitating that with feeding supplements and, sh- and things like that, which is which totally works. But right now, I'm, I'm so absolutely sick to death uh, with making sugar water one of the big changes for next year is is um, if we're going to keep at this pace, it's all going to be fructose. Yeah. Three to one, five to one, where I don't have to mix it. Um, right now, you know, a lot of these hives should have had more feed on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it. And a lot of them aren't going to make it and won't be strong enough because uh, I created so many splits that needed fed and I never got around to actually feeding them. So that's, yeah. that's you know, that's beekeeper error. Um, so that's something that I, that's on me. That's mm-hmm. definitely happened. So I've tried to, knowing, almost knowing subconsciously I was going to be in the same exact boat, I tried to be more conservative in the 1st of July on, on what I did. So I have less mess to clean up now. So I'm going through, I'll, I'll be downsizing, I'll be balancing sizes out. 
Uh, I've seen enough feedback with clustering the hives together, stacking single boxes, pushing them all together to where I'm not convinced at all that it's actually beneficial. Um, and I don't think I'll be doing that anymore. Yeah. And that was pretty much, uh, I guess, using science um, and using the FLIR camera to actually look at the thermal image of the what the camera? Hives. The FLIR? The FLIR. FLIR. Which one do you like better? The FLIR. Like, I like I like Randy Lafleur. Lafleur, and then it was a Fleer Fleer camera. Ooh. I, I just I, I didn't I didn't see enough concrete evidence that actually showed that they 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 at least in my context they were not sharing common walls. There was yep. not a thermal bridge between the hives. What I did is I lost probably twenty or thirty hives stacking hives together because when you stack them together uh, vertically, uh, there's condensation that forms between. And it creates an ice sheet. And mm-hmm. end up being a refrigerator or a freezer. Everything below the ice sheet froze to death. Yeah. Everything above it was fine. Um, those are things that I'm seeing in my bee yard that I've I've got enough feedback on that for doing them enough years in a row to where I feel like I, need, I can make a change and then kind of assess that. Um, so I'm balancing things out. Um, I didn't spend. I, I made zero honey this year. Matter of fact, I bought honey from Dan. Um, because I made so many splits, ran things so ragged to where, you know, this, the secret, the secret to making honey is making bees. And I, you know, I, to, to make the honey, you need, uh, a colony that is happy with the colony size that they have to where they start. They're not, they're no longer working day to day on the checking account. They're working on the savings account and they're putting that extra up and above. Well, I never got my bees to that point. They were constantly living hand to mouth building the colony size and I would split them out and I would split them out and I would split them out and I would split and they were they were there was never frames full full frames of nectar because there's brood and things like that with them um so what it sounds like is you're a bee slumlord thanks Dan (laughs) (laughs) well just know that all those queens that you have in your yard making you excellent honey are slumlord Greg's queens and I put them in my gated community (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so there's there's you know that's that that goes with it. You run them you run them to a certain point to where um, you know they they never build the the savings account. And so um, because of that, uh, I didn't have any honey to spend in the spring. I'm, there will be, I'm sure, fall, um, which is fine. Um, but I'm balancing things out, um, the biggest thing that. I think sets me up to be successful going into the winter time is uh, getting on top of pest management because during this uh, whole burnout thing, uh, it's easy for all. It, it, it happens to coincide with pest season. When we start mm-hmm. getting into July, we get into robbing. We, we start getting into situations where hives can get weakened. Hive beetles uh, can start taking a foothold. Wax moths also then creep in outside of just yellow jackets and everything else robbing and kind of... Uh, you know, getting in the way there. So what we just what we're right now are doing is alcohol washing our hives to, to see what our numbers are and then treat accordingly. And we use uh, osalic acid with a provape. Um, you know, the the hive we just checked last night we had one mite per three hundred. That's terrific. That's that that needs nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of folks are seeing lower mite counts this year, from what I understand. So um, they might not be such a big deal now, but at least we have a by alcohol washing some of our hives we have a um a baseline to where if we do that again in three weeks and we see a jump or we see no jump we can kind of project you know right now hives are still making drones 
Um, so if they're still making drones, that means they're not kicking out drones. If they're still making drones, they still have that potential to swarm, which means they're still have the potential to make brood and still build up. And that's what I need right now. I need a lot of these small hives to continue to build up um, to get a little bit bigger. And they can't do that um, if they're ate up with the bazillions of, well, it's not bazillions, but it's like 30, 32 viruses that the mites carry. If they're ate up with some of these uh, viruses that are preventing them from actually building up, being healthy, going out collecting pollen, nectar, mm-hmm. or getting lost and not coming home, um, then we can't even build up for the wintertime. Did you ever use that probiotic stuff I gave you? Negative. I forgot about it, too. Yeah. I guess I'll be next year's experiment. Right. So uh, getting, a hold of the, uh, getting ahead of the pest is kind of what we're doing right now. Um, one of the big things that we've done this year, uh, you guys might have saw the video that we posted on the Contrary Beekeepers show page there on Facebook, where it was just bazillions of hive beetles crawling around and then torching them. That is the result of a very, very lean split made late in the year that um, I didn't maintain and I didn't catch that the well, we had a we had a, a queens like disappearing. Just getting ate up. We have these martins hanging out in the trees, dive bombing uh, our hives again. That seems to happen the first part of July. Um, and so we'll graft. We'll make a lot of queens, 50 or 60 at a time. We'll get them out. They'll all hatch. I'll, we'll see virgins. We'll mark the box as virgins, but the virgins never come back. That's a huge problem. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then you end up having, and I did that on some of these splits where they were two or three frame splits. Still, you know, that's a lot of bees still. But mm-hmm. over the course of 30 days, if there's no eggs being laid, there's no brood to recycle, depending on the age of that brood, they all time out. And there's not enough there to, to really do anything. So uh, what we've been doing uh, to prevent the hive beetle explosion is we'll mix up three pounds of Crisco, a half of a pound of pool-grade diatomaceous earth, about 10 drops of eucalyptus and then blue food coloring and just mix that into like a cake frosting and just put a, a little bit of smear of that on the bottom board and what that does is that uh, hive beetles are attracted to the the, the, the the protein the crisco the fat when they go to eat that they're uh, ingesting the diatomaceous earth and that's what is destroying what's the blue food coloring for Make it look Magic. pretty. Make it look pretty. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, this is a trick Don has taught me. <clears throat> when you mix up pool grade diet, DE, it's white, and then Crisco is white. You have no idea if you're mixed thoroughly. So you put the food coloring in, and when you have a nice, evenly colored frosting, you're mixed. Gotcha. Just don't put <clears throat> it on a birthday cake. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. No. So that that's what, that's what has worked real. That and uh, Dollar General dry, dry Swiffer sheets has been excellent. So what happened is I'm going through all these. Finally made the time to go through my hives, and I got to the one, and you can smell a hive beetle hive before you get to it. I smelled it. I knew what I was going to see. I opened it up. Not only did I not have a Swiffer sheet in that hive, that bottom didn't have any beetle butter on it. That's what mm-hmm. I call it, beetle butter. I had none of that on the bottom. So me going through making these splits, I got in a hurry. I got absent-minded. I didn't follow through knowing, projecting that was going to happen. Every other hive that was totally fine, even leaner than that, mm-hmm. there was still that beetle butter on the bottom, and there was a Swiffer sheet that was loaded full of hive beetles. So I've seen that enough now through the years to where that's been pretty solid for me uh, to, to work out well. 
other than that, right now is just uh, feeding, um, feeding the hives, making sure they have, they have enough through all these little spells. We haven't, we've had, we have had some darths here. Um, they've been, you know, kind of short lived, but but I've been trying to keep to do my best, which has been poor feeding. And I hate to hate to, to feel like I'm over promoting those bucket feeders. But if it were not for those bucket feeders, half these hives would have starved out. What bucket feeders are you talking about? Why, thank you, Dan. <laughs> those Go bucket, to the YouTubes. The, the ability to put a half a gallon or a gallon of feed on a hive and let it sit, and then it can stay there for two to four weeks has been the only thing that's probably helped some of these splits because there's no way in the world I was going to get out there once a week with a quart jar. There's, mm-hmm. th- that would not have happened. So um, the bucket feeders... Um, that there's a how-to video on the Contrary Farmstead YouTube channel. We show you how to make those. Like those really save the day, uh, and those are helping a lot of beekeepers that are in the same situation or worse try to save some time. Yeah, uh, and and put that effort towards something else in the bee yard. So getting keeping them fed, um, you know, has has kind of been huge. Uh, moving forward from there, we'll keep them fed. We'll try, we'll keep them balanced out. And then about uh, Thanksgiving time, we'll like Sean mentioned earlier, uh, we also have a video of it too of uh, using the, the, the dry sugar uh, mountain camp method has been a cheap insurance policy. Yeah. And what's amazing is you watch the bees on a warm day blow right past the honey and go right to the sugar. So if, if we're observing nature and we're watching plants and how everything reacts and acts um, and how it's intertwined together, we're watching the bees blow right past the honey to get to the sugar, mm-hmm. you know, that should tell us, you know, something that they, they, it seems like they do have that, that what we would, I guess it's kind of, uh, anthropomorphizing the situation where we create a checking account to pay for our day to day. And then we create a savings account for later. They seem to do the same thing. They're putting nectar above the brood as their checking account. They put it away in the savings account for later for when they need it. That's definitely, uh, projecting our human, uh, character uh, characteristics and qualities, actions, feelings on the bees. That's just you. I keep mine as bugs in a box. Bugs in a box. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we talked about getting ready for winter. This is where folks really uh, struggle with, I think, anthropomorphizing the bee uh, and throwing the, the the same traits where if I'm warm, the bee must the, the bee must need to be warm. So if my house is insulated and warm. Therefore, we should put heat mats and insulation and double insulation and wrap the hives and do all these things because it works for us without fully realizing um, the big picture. So I, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that in the way to where I think about their honey stores as a checking in the savings account. However, there's no action that I really take other than making sure that they're, they're fed when they don't hardly have a checking account. Make sure they've got enough to get through and, and, and pay those bills per se. Um, so that, that's a whole other, you know, kind of conversation about wrapping and, and insulating. I know a lot of folks have asked about that. Um, I know Jimbo, you posted a, a video about, uh, someone posing the question on insulating all year. Yeah, that was all year yeah. round. And I just, um, you know, the, the, what I've seen here and you guys chime in is, um, everything is so extremely, uh, Micro site specific yeah. and micro local. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here in Ohio and in our in the, in the valley here, if you take black tar paper and you wrap a hive, um, 
and there's no they can't breathe there's no place really other Mm -hmm. than the very top part of an inner cover for air uh, to be exchanged or moisture to escape you have a situation where the hive prematurely warms on those sunny winter days they break cluster when they break cluster they have to feed themselves break the cluster and they go through and burn through an enormous amount of honey to do that and you can have a, a box that's four ten frame deeps tall, wrapped in wrapped in black paper, mm-hmm. that starved to death, or they starved to death, and and they're, and they're full of mold and mildew. Yeah, because there's so much activity. They they through their respiration, there's moisture being emitted out of that colony, and there's no place for it to go. Mm-hmm. So you might get into situations where you're in a very dry, arid, cold winter, and you can maybe get by with that. But you can't do if you do that in situations where it's not. You're going to learn the hard way that you need ventilation, and you actually want the bees to stay cold. The bees here I've seen minus 17 in a single five frame box. The cold is not killing the bees. It's the moisture that builds up on the inside and has no place to go, and that's ventilation. I think Sean, you might have mentioned you had some trouble with moisture Moist. either, either getting in or not being able to get out of the hive and that's that's rough on them yeah well you see a hive that's right next to one that survived and the one that was in the exact same winter one was dry one was wet i mean it was clear to me that it was the wetness um i i am a huge believer in air circulation um so that's one of the things i put that extra box on the top just to collect condensation i know some people do quilting boxes and things like that um that's the route that i've been taking recently and i really think you you're running quilting boxes on everything? No, I just have oh, okay. a box on top that is... For is, dry sugar, too. Though, right? And also, yes. So, yeah. like, I believe that doing the mountain camp method also absorbs a ton of, of moisture. It's like a desiccant, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's context, once again. Like, I, I know Jim mentioned earlier that he's in the middle of a Darth. We've been had the wettest August that I've seen in years. So, and we're not in Montana or... Which is this, this is how micro local things can be. Sean is literally, as the bee flies, maybe eight miles from me. We're separated by Route 70, and we have had the most ridiculous dry. All the storms are going way south of us or way north of us. We yeah. got rain last night. We got rain a couple of days ago, um, but everything has been, I mean, so ridiculously dry. Uh, Your pond's almost empty out there. The pond was getting extremely low. Uh, Tried to create a new filter for it. Um, it's to, to feed the, the, the animals there. You, I mean, we're literally eight miles apart. Our, our, technically, our bees could overlap. They could on the same. They could flowers. forage the same orchard. And we haven't been able to make a second cutting of hay because it hasn't been dry enough. Wow. Do so you think your bees and Greg's bees hang out like you guys do? Or is that anthropomorphizing them too much? Probably is. <laughs> I like to think that they do. Okay. They're hanging out, having, having deep talks around the fire. Yeah. Trying to figure these humans listening out. Listening to Pink Floyd. <laughs> listening to Pink Floyd late at night. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, what, that's what we're doing to get ready for winter. We're balancing. We're uh, staying on top of pests. We're treating if we need it. We're making sure they have plenty of syrup to, to build them up. Um and we'll be continue to monitor for mites, treat if necessary, and uh, add dry sugar uh, about Thanksgiving, and that puts us in the best situation. Um, and and again, it's everything is so context specific. We're running uh, mostly five and eight frame boxes, singles, some deeps, some doubles, 
Um, nothing in really big uh, formats. Every box is ventilated, solid bottom boards, bucket feeders. That's our little context. So, Jimbo, how about you? Also, uh, my my approach this this uh, this year is a two part approach for uh, getting ready for winter. Um, you know, the first part is kind of similar to yours: is pest management and downsizing. That worked very well for me last winter, uh, making sure that the you know there was a there was a mite count that warranted them being treated, and they got treated, and then I downsized them, uh, basically them to a uh, two medium eight frame boxes uh, per hive, which is almost one deep, you know. So by you know giving them their brood chamber and then enough honey on top. It was just enough space for them that they were able to keep, you know, I, I felt personally that they were able to better regulate their own temperature, uh, not having to, uh, to heat up a whole, you know, three, four, five frame, you know, box, so, you know, high box. So that's you know, my biggest, you know, you know, thing that I took away from last year and it worked for me and I'm going to do it again this year right. until it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, but the second thing that I, you know, that's been on my mind lately, which kind of bit me in the rear this year, was not coming out of winter prepared. So me being pre- being prepared coming out of next year's winter is kind of what I'm thinking about. What am I not not necessarily getting ready right now for that, but getting my plans together for what that is for next year. Then that kind of sets you up if you know how you want to come out of the spring. Doesn't that kind of put you in a position where you know how to plan, what to prepare for right now? Exactly. So, like something like me and you talked about earlier this year was, okay, I'm, you know, I have five hives all on one stand. I was getting greedy with my space. A little tight in there. Yeah, it was a little tight there. So, okay. well, don't feel bad. Greg also yelled at me for being guilty of that too. You guys are both are like booby trapping yourself, and I learned that from Don. You go in there and you, you, you things work a certain way. If you put the hive. Put the smoker on the wrong box or the lid on the wrong box and things are too tight. What ends up happening is what happened at your place. And I went to go, what I, I don't know what I did, move, move a frame or I bumped into something and a, a bees, you know, fell out. You know, there's just no room to work. Yeah. And if you have somebody that you are mentoring or you're working with, I mean, booby traps. And that's, you have a hive that's booby trapped and you drop a frame or a box. I mean, that's not exactly, it's exciting. I have my system <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> Yeah, I got that little footstool thing. Mm-hmm. That's been a godsend. You're you're pretty tight. We are. And then when I'm done, I always have a place to sit. I just like mm-hmm. to have a box width between. So if I need to set a box down in between, I set a box down in between. I don't have to reach back. I don't have to step over. There's not bees at my ankle height to crawl up my pants. I just move them over. They're right in between, and that was a game changer for me with my the box the with? new height. Yeah, I try and always have a box with. So if I have to sit down a lid, anything, it fits perfectly yeah. beside. Yeah, definitely. See, I don't because I always feel like I'm just losing real Dad, estate. Donna, you should be on the contrary beekeeper show, Dan. <laughs> What's that? No one's ever heard of him. Don't worry. No, man. Yeah. Big shot. Just our big three listeners. Yeah. So what else? What else? What was on your mind for winter? So yeah. So like we talked about that. So like now is creating more stands for myself because I have loftier goals for next year and I want to make sure I have enough room to grow. And so, do I have the amount of you know think about okay, what, how much equipment do I need for next year? How many stands should I legitimately have that has enough space on it for next year? 
you know, so I'm not being that greedy like I was this year because it is a big difference now working that tightly close together. So just be able to have that all in my head is what I was where I want to be right now. Of where I want to be coming out of, you know, in the spring. What capacity? We, we've all talked about Dan burnout over capacity. Me over capacity. Sean, you're probably cruising at like a 75, or things are running pretty good. Yeah. Where? What do you feel? Like I'm, you're I'm, at? I'm like I'm at I'm at capacity, like where okay. I'm at, because I didn't plan right. And I know that's not that's on me. It's, so knowing that, knowing that you won't be any less busy next year. You talk about you want to make changes and, and do what are your goals for next year because that doesn't that set you up for what you're doing right now. So next year I I'm looking to at least double my size. You know that's that's, that's lofty. That is lofty. Yeah. That is lofty. And for me it's going you know and it is lofty for me like maybe not so much for Dan you know or, or Greg because you guys oh, are, you guys double, are used double, to doubling. Yeah, double, yeah. Double, yeah, double, double. Well, where, but for my context it is yes, and, oh, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. You know, that's huge. Like. I'm looking to do 10 hives next year. And for you guys, that'd probably just be dropping a bucket, you know, for what you're used to right now. But I'm not used to that. It wasn't easy. uh, You know, it's double is double. Yeah. Yeah. So like now I got to think, okay, what do I got to do to set myself up for success and not be burned out next year? Right. And that's, you know, and then that's like what's on my mind right now, because that's what I've been doing the last few years. That's what I do with everything in life. So going to 10 hives. I play, I play things fast and loose. Yeah. So you want to sell some honey? Yes, I want to be able to sell some honey next year, so I can, um, you know, maybe avoid paying the tax man so much money uh, for you know property, everything else. So if you have five now and you're going to have ten, that's an interesting approach because if you, you guys can step in at any point, but it seems like if you're going to make honey, you're not splitting those hives in the spring. You're building them up because you're making yeah. the early, early honey, and you're you want them tight and hard. Uh, and and to go long, and to go big. <laughs> <We're just> gonna- <laughs> my my experience is it. You can definitely pull honey off packages and things like yeah. that first year. Yeah, I mean I did. You're you're not going to get a fantastic amount. You're going to pull four or five times. Yeah, if you are coming out and it's almost resource high strength. And so for me, I think. 15 to 15 to 20 hives I really kind of air quote had in production this year so I had some of them swarm and things like that and that number kind of dwindled down but if you're if you're definitely going to be looking at doubling your hives I I would think that this might be something to where you might want to have a little bit larger cluster going into winter so if you are doing uh eight frame mediums to where it comes spring and the temperature's right and they're doing their spring buildup, just pick that box up, put it on a new stand, whatever, give it a few days, whatever, which one has eggs in it, you know there's the queen there and you can just introduce a mated queen into the, that one. And all you got to do is build up from there, but just, right. just pre-plan that. You can't get a honey crop, but it's not going to be something fantastical to write home about. If you're lucky to come out, if you're do well again and you come out with five, you know, if those fives are in triple eight frame mediums, I mean, you're, you're going to be set up to do pretty good uh, to make honey. If you end up splitting all those down, you're still going to make some honey and you are still going to make some growth. But you're, it's like you, you get to a point to where 
you have there's a there's, there's this magic formula that I don't know yet, but it seems like you have your goals, um, but primarily your goals are based on resources, and those resources either come locally from your bee yard or you bring in the resources to get you closer to that goal for whatever context and scale that you're in. So if you want to go to 10 and you want to make honey in the spring, it seems like the smart play is probably uh, build up or keep building up this year, come out of the spring with five heavy hives, let them make the honey. After your first honey crop is, if they do need split out a little bit, you split some of those down build those up you're still making fall crop on the one the other is still getting big now you're at 10 highs but what's interesting about this idea is you're actually by saying you want to be at 10 highs next year you're actually are looking two years down the road because if you want 10 highs you're probably thinking i want 10 highs producing honey not just i want 10 hives is that is that what you're thinking you want 10 highs producing honey or you just want 10 hives I like to have ten hives, you know, and I, you know, they don't all need to be producing. Oh, see, then now you've got even more room and flexibility to, whether that's packages or nukes or making splits. Now you've got options. Yeah, so that's that's pretty smart. Yeah, and I, you know, I can I can focus energy in different places on these hives, you know, you know, on what I'm looking for with these goals, and yeah, you know, like you know, like you know, Dan, you know, you hit on it like. That's you know knowing knowing what you want to do next year kind of affects what you want to do this year yeah. going in the winter, like that changes how you might want to do things with those hives. And like I know in my I had an expansion goal, uh, that year everything was focused on expanding the bee yard. Honey was a secondary goal, and I had no no real goals of pulling honey. And that's where I dedicated everything to just making it larger. And yes, I did get some. Not a huge number or anything, but it was not the primary purpose. And I didn't have any plans on making it or making a profit that year. So I think where my thought is, is find out what's the first priority. And obviously it sounds like expanding. So, Right, you got to start somewhere. And then, you know, like... If if I had this goal of like I want all you know I want to push this as hard as possible I'm gonna fail right away yeah you know that and I, and I and I know that about myself and we know. all three have that personality to where we always want bigger better Sean's the only smart one yeah. Dustin's even smarter he doesn't have hives yet if you want to know the formula <laughs> hey Greg there is a formula to figure out oh God please tell me this to start with twice as much so you end up with half as less no no. The golden formula? Sean Brown oh, always references it. Man, we just, we just said we're sitting around listening to Pink Floyd late at night. You think we haven't had the golden rule talk? We're going to talk about sacred geometry and oh, the yeah. golden mean. That's the formula. Right. You know it. Yeah. So it is figured out for you. Well, Sean, I, did we talk about what you're, what you're up to? Yeah, I kind of went over it quickly, but for me, the the biggest thing, I've got my equipment settled to where I switched out my bottom boards to solids. Right. I've got them all in eight frames. Um, the big thing is the decisions now. So mite management is top of mind. Um, I've always been under the mindset of if you're early, you're on time, and if you're on time, you're already late. And if you're late in beekeeping, then usually you're SOL. Yeah. So at, if I see a problem now, that's when I have to make that decision. Am I going to 
ask my neighbor if I can borrow his Pro Vape? Am I going to throw some quick strips in there, which I haven't had a lot of success with? Yeah. Um, uh, and then once again, just monitoring. And you got about what ten years of successful killing of bees. Yeah, I've been. Listen I'm, back to episode ten nine. Years, ten years, years, bees years. Years. <laughs> He's been keeping bees longer. Many than different ways. I'm the Dexter of beekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> like the cartoon, like Dexter's Lab. Yeah, Dan. Yeah, sure. Dan. sure. Okay. What do you? you <laughs> and for for beginning beekeepers that are listening, uh, and we're probably not going into enough detail on some of these things for them, and we really can't all in one episode. But when you say, "Well, you're looking for mites." What does that mean to you? And this, I, I had been beekeeping for six years before I even knew how to properly look for mites. So I, I always thought that I don't see any mites it in the hive, or I'll pick out a couple of brood and see if I see anything on them. But really, the only true method, in my opinion, is an alcohol wash. Yeah. Um, I've tried sugar shakes, and it's a, in the summer in Ohio, it's a mess. It's a sticky, horrible mess. So. I, it was hard for me at first, like I killing a whole, a whole handful of bees, drowning them, and then counting mites. But you just got to look at it as you're saving their life for the winter, possibly if if they have a problem. So I haven't I haven't checked mine in several months. In the spring, I, I had almost zero mite count. But um, I know I told you I saw my first ever hive beetle last week. So I, 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 this week, if I see something, then I really have to make a decision on on what kind of treatment method I'm going to use. Yeah. So that's what Sean's up to. Dan is trying to mentally put together the plan for next year. and Mentally put myself together. It's a work in progress. Yeah. And Jimbo, you're also just figuring out what your goals are for next year and what you can do now to support them. It's like you've got your, your box configuration that works out for you. You've, um, I know last year we did treat for mites, mm-hmm. so you're probably you're going to continue to probably monitor that, see yes. see if there's any action that needs to be taken, or if not, then that's totally cool too, you know. And then kind of go from there. Yes, and yeah, and just figuring out what it is that I need to have ready, you know, mentally, physically, you know, just so I don't experience a burn. I will experience a burnout no matter what. I think everyone's gonna, every year is going to experience that, but. What can I do to lessen that amount? And that was a conversation I had with my wife this year was, if if I decide to do this, will you be willing to learn to beekeep with me? Right. Will you be willing to get in those boxes with me for the times I can't to back me up? Yeah, you got to have that. Because otherwise, if I don't, if... You know, not them, you know, I don't want to force her support because if that's not something she's not interested in... Right, you can just... I'll keep things where they're at. Right. But if you can't, if you can support me, I want to go forward with this. If you can't support me, then it doesn't make sense for me to go forward and start doubling things because I'm just going to end up burnt out faster than normal. So we need that check and balance. Uh, That's something that that thing to 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 check yourself before you wreck yourself. And that's Mm -hmm. the only reason that things didn't so far end up in a catastrophic fail. Meaning. I ran those bees out so thin and then couldn't maintain them is because Susan said, "Well, didn't you? Here's where we were last year, and you said this. We're we're looking right at it again. What, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'll support what you want to do in the bee yard here, but you know, it seems to me like you're 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 setting us up to fail again. So she's always she's always right, you know. And if it wasn't having her in the bee yard and her grafting and things like that, there's no way I could do, um, you know, do what we're what we're trying to do here. So. I think an a, a upcoming episode would be interesting on 
how we're changing or what we're how our B yards are adapting to meet our goals for next year. That, would, that could be another. I think we're going on almost two hours here. That could be uh, that could be another. Those poor people. Pretty yeah. <laughs> the dogs. Are if anybody's right still here. listening. <laughs> so, is there anything else you guys want to um, touch on before we go? If uh, you're looking for local raw Ohio honey, you get a hold of Red Dog Ranch on Facebook. Yep. And uh, get set up for uh, good honey. Jimbo, got anything you want to plug? Uh, no, no, just uh, maybe the Contrary Farmstead. Uh, maybe I'll plug them. I well, thank you. They are our sister sister company. Sister company. Oh, we have a sister company? Yeah. Didn't you know? Do we have a brother company? We have a multi-dimensional broadcasting empire. We're worldwide. Conglomerate. Conglomerate. Does John? that include Prestige uh, worldwide, worldwide. No, I'm good. Thank you guys very much. Um, I love listening to you guys. It was great hanging out, shooting the breeze about bees for a couple hours. So I just wanted to say thanks. It's always good to have all these different opinions and thoughts and new jokes to add to the mix. So it's nice having. And uh, Dustin, where can everyone find your YouTube channel and Dusty's chainsaw extravaganza? Don't forget that was Dusty. Yeah, dear Dusty. Oh, and and yes. find, go Dustin Thompson on Facebook. Friend him, and we do this thing called Dear Dusty. Ask which is, Dustin which anything, is, which is in light of Dear Abby. But it's just your dusty. If easily offended, you might steer clear. Right. Yes. It's not for everyone. <laughs> but it's for someone. Yeah. And if that someone's you. <laughs> I think that'll about do it. If you're uh, if you are uh, looking to feed your bees and bucket feeders are something that you might think would help uh, save you some time in the bee yard, you can go to nature's image farm. Don't forget tent plugs that are not by the fourteen thousand quantity. You can't yep, it's you cannot buy those plugs uh, anymore unless you buy them by the entire case. We're talking thousands of them at a time. So we didn't like that. I didn't think that was cool. Um, we're a small outfit and we want to help small outfits as well. So uh, we took that on ourselves to do that. You can go to naturesimagefarm.com and if you want to order twenty, you can order twenty. If you want to order two hundred, you can order two hundred. Uh, you can check those feeder plugs out there. You can check out the video on YouTube, the one gallon uh, uh, how to build a feeder bucket, how to build a bucket feeder. Um, I'm sure you've seen them all over uh, the Fat B Man's website. Uh, the Fat B Man uses them. A lot of his students use them. A lot of folks on there. Um, if it's it, it could be a good fit for you too. If it's if if it's, if it's the right scale and context. Um, other than that, we're still plugging the bucket feeders. Still plugging, three years later, still and they're. <laughs> Literally, I've been a game changer for a lot of folks. So it's I'm really glad saving to see grace. That, I'm glad to see that after even all these years, they're they're still people are still finding value, uh, and they save a lot of money building yourself. I, I you know honestly, it's been a game changer for me. Like you know, a lot of my bees don't use them all the time, and I find that I can put a bucket feeder on in the, in the last couple months, depending on the hive. Yeah, uh, but it's a hell of a lot easier than the, using the cord jars and you know. And then just having this nasty mess of cord jars around, and then your bee yard somehow has a cord jar in the grass that was growing taller than it should, and then you run over at the tractor. Oh. Now you got shards of glass around, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now I love those bucket feeders. Uh, I think other than that, we've uh, the contrary farmstead has been uh, missing an action on the the podcast itself. We've been putting that effort on mm. uh, some videos, so mm-hmm. maybe we'll have to. Uh, it's hard to find time to do all the things. We'd love to be able to get back on the podcast, of course, and update everybody because so much has happened since the last podcast. But 
uh, bear with us as we figure out what actually works for us. And uh, stay tuned for the next Contrary Beekeepers show podcast. Uh, Q&A, listener supported. So thanks for listening. As always, be the change. Be yourself. Be kind. And be the lighthouse. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you. That'll work.